Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome on in to a solo edition of the High Hopes Podcast. That's right. You got Jack Fritz here going solo as James Seltzer and John Marks are getting soft on me and they're going to bed. They didn't want to stay up and talk some Phillies baseball. But as you well know, as you've listened to this podcast, I can talk Phillies baseball all the time. And I tell you what, it has been a a pretty frustrating week, uh, to say the least, uh, to, to, to be a Phils fan, to be to be a fan of the start of the season. Listen, it's still been a bit been a positive start to the season. Um, but it it is disheartening losing two of three to the Miami Marlins. I mean, there's there's no there's no other way to sugarcoat it. They're the worst team in baseball. And I know it's April, but when you have an Arietta Nola in, in, in any series, you expect to go out and, and win it. And not being able to do that against the Marlins, again, the worst team in baseball, a, a team that is clearly rebuilding, it's just, it's just not, it's not what you want from a young team early in the season. Now, um, it, it, obviously, not all hope is lost, but there are some, some, some cracks forming in the armor of uh, this early part of the Phillies season. And really, we got to start with the $75 million man, that is Jake Arrieta. Um, now, before I go into the Jake Arrieta's start against the Marlins, I will say that you Darvish got lit up this week uh, against the Colorado Rockies. And if you search Cubs Twitter, I mean, they are not too happy with uh, the returns they're getting on the you Darvish investment. And a story came out this week that I found uh, super interesting, supposedly... Uh, late in the offseason, I don't, I don't remember when, but Theo Epstein called Jake Arrieta and was like, hey, six years, the same exact deal as Darvish, six years, 120, take it or leave it. And, uh, and in, in my eyes, in how I envision this, Jake Arrieta gave him the middle finger, the proverbial middle finger, and said, I'm going to Philly. That's just how I envision it. Now, is that how it went down? Probably not. But in my mind... That's exactly how it went down. Jake Arrieta told Theo Epstein to basically just F off. So um, he's here in Philly, and 
Listen, he had a, a pretty good, strong start to the season. Um, his underlying numbers weren't as good as his ERA. He entered that he entered his start against the Marlins with a 1.82 ERA, but his FIP did suggest. I don't know. I say FIP. Listen, I'll work on it. I'm early. I'll say FIP. Just for the longest time, I've said FIP. Anyway, uh, his FIP would suggest that he was really pitching at about a 3-3 uh, ERA level, which which seemed fair. He wasn't really pitching at a 1.83 ERA um, ERA number. The, the, the FIP was better, or it was a more indicative of Jake Arrieta's beginning of the season. Now, he's he's been pretty good, but... This, the start against the Marlins and really his start um, last week were, were pretty big causes of concern for me because he is not locating his off-speed at all, and he's constantly fighting himself. Now, he has the the crossfire motion where, of course, it's it's hard to, to always have perfect mechanics at all times, especially at his age. He's always been a guy that kind of figures it out as he goes along and he battles and grinds and he just has had to grind his way through these last two starts since the Pirates game. It just, he just has. And it's fine. I'm not overreacting, but he's not striking anyone out. Like Jake Arrieta is not striking anyone out. He was great against the, the Pirates. He struck out was it 10? He struck out 10 against the Pirates. Um but these last two games, he's not striking anyone out. He's fighting himself against his curveball. Uh, the the velo has been fine. I'm not worried about the velo, and the, and the movement is really good. He did lose some control on his sinker uh, against the Marlins, but um, it's more the off speed that that I'm super concerned with because it's two straight starts of him uh, kind of fighting his mechanics and not being able to locate his off speed, and they just don't have the same kind of sharpness that they had against the Pirates and some of the earlier starts. Like they're they're just. They're looking more Velasquez-ish. Now, like, Arietta can get it back to where it's just a hammer. Uh, Vince Velasquez has never shown that. Um, but right now, it just looks like they don't have the same dive to them that they were having earlier in the season. Uh, now, he's a guy that, that he's a smart pitcher. He'll figure it out. But that, that Marlins start was, was pretty disheartening against uh, the worst team in the league. I mean, that's the start that you should go out there and, and pitch seven innings and just dominate and, and go from there. I was I was pretty disappointed in, in, in Arietta. Uh and, and really, one thing to monitor from Arietta is is the fighting himself with his mechanics and and, and short arming his curveball and and all of that stuff. I, I would definitely watch out for that going forward. If he can get that back, his fastball location's been fine to me. Um, he did walk more batters against the Marlins. But, you know, that happens. That happens with a guy with his mechanics, and it's not one to be superly over-concerned with. Um, my other takeaways from the Marlins series, just continuing to, to not be able to, to bring guys in in scoring position. Now, they did a good job of it um, two nights ago, Wednesday night, uh, when they won 6 nothing. They, they would get guys in scoring position, and Franco had a big late-game hit. Uh, Altair had a sack fly. Aduba had another single. They they did they did a really good job uh, of closing out a ball game. But the first two nights they had some opportunities to win a ball game, and the the problems with runners in scoring position continue. And the real struggle here has been Reese Hoskins. And listen, I think the world of Reese Hoskins. I think he's going to be great. But if you studied his minor leagues at all, he was a streaky-ish hitter. And he never really had the ridiculous power that he showed his first <laughs> two weeks up here. Uh, the, the power has seemed to regress just a little bit. He's, he only has four home runs in the season. 
Um, and he's just not making hard contact right now. And he had his last at bat last night was was really good. It was a really positive sign. Heading into that at bat, he had been 0 for 4 with 4 Ks. He was wearing the golden sombrero. Gets up there for the fifth time, rips the ball right up the middle. And that's what I was saying um, for the, before the first four at bats. He was pulling off of everything. And Reese has been such a disciplined hitter for his entire career that I was surprised that he was pulling off as much as he was. Balls in the outside corner, he was hooking down the third baseline. That is a really, really bad sign. If you are taking a slider on the outside corner and you are so out in front of it that you're, you're pulling it foul down the third baseline, you're just, you're just really messed up mechanically-wise. And he was doing that. He, he, he had done it all Marlins series. He had done it in his first four bats on Wednesday night. And then the fifth at bat, he finally started thinking up the middle, drive the ball to center field, uh, don't try to pull off everything, and get your mechanics back in line. Listen, I'm not going to overreact to a a bad week. I mean, he had a bad uh, start to when he got called up last year. He started, what was he, 0 for 11 when he got called up. And then he had a a similar rough stretch to end the season. So it's not a, a major cause for concern. And his last at bat was very encouraging. But... He did come up with some in some major spots in this Marlins series, and just and just couldn't uh, couldn't deliver for this team. And Reese has been in a weird funk for the last three or four games. Uh, I think the last at bat there against the Marlins was uh, positive, and hopefully he can carry it over to a big Washington series. Uh, just continue to pummel that Washington team, but we'll see. We will see. Uh, a double. I mean, listen, I had to I had to bring up a double. It's just. You know, he doesn't run out of ball, right? And we spend all week talking about this guy who is who has been on base in count it thirty-two straight games. And we've been over the Adubel thing. I don't really feel like getting back into it. He's a very good player that does more good than bad on a baseball field. He's a very good hitter. Um, and and of course, uh, two nights ago. He hit a ball that he thought was going foul, that he didn't fully run out, and of course, Twitter exploded in terrible Adubal takes. But, uh, but that's beside the point. The worst part, and, and, and the part that is just causing me physical pain, is the fact that this is the longest on-base streak, it's at 32 straight, um, since Darren Ruff. I don't want to hear Darren Ruff's name anywhere near this team anymore. I don't want to hear it in in association with Adubo Herrera. Get you know, I wish they never showed that graphic. I wish they didn't show that graphic at all. I wish it was scrubbed from the history books. I wish that was scrubbed from the history books, just like I wish that David Bell does not have the last cycle in Philly's history. Just I need someone else to hit for the cycle. I need Adubo to get on base more than 34 times, just so that he's ahead of Darren Ruff. I will not sleep until a double or someone on this team has longer than 33 game uh, on base streak to get Darren Ruff's name scrubbed from the record books. That's all I got to say about that. Um, Jorge Alfaro is, is another guy I've taken away from this Marlins series. Taking better hacks. And we talked about it on the last podcast with James. Jorge Alfaro is a guy who probably has the most power on the team. Just the natural raw power. He's got clean swing mechanics. All that good stuff. But man, does he try to hit everything 450 feet. And the frustrating part about Jorge Alfaro is that when he, when he slows everything down 
and just takes a nice, simple hack. Jorge Alfaro is like your golf game. You know, when you try to swing as hard as you can, the ball doesn't go as far as it does when you just take a nice, simple, easy swing. Jorge Alfaro, we we all get so frustrated watching Jorge Alfaro because we are watching our golf game in baseball version. That's what Jorge Alfaro brings to the table. Because when he tries to swing as hard as he can, he's late on everything. He's wrapping his bat behind his head, which if you know anything about hitting, it's just like that. you're, you're, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed at that point. So um, Jorge Alfaro, when he just slows down, lets everything come to him, thinks up the middle, is a, is a really, really strong hitter. And, and I tweeted this out, which you can follow me at WIP. I tweeted this out on, on Monday's game when he hit, he hit the first inning homer, or second inning homer. His upside is, is freaking absurd. Because his upside is, is that of Gary Sanchez. And I'm not going to say that I think Corey Alfaro is Gary Sanchez. But I think he can be at least a middleman's Gary Sanchez. With, with his absolute hose behind the plate, it was on display last night. And I know his, his, his uh, uh, throwing out percentage at second base isn't great. But if you watch the games, I mean, his pitchers are doing him absolutely no favors. Jake Arrieta can't hold anyone on base. It's, it's rather frustrating. But Jorge Alfaro, if his pitchers give him a chance, is, is a machine behind the plate. And his, the, his defensive struggles that we heard about, whatever, which was fake news to the max. Now, he might not be a great guy at calling a game, but that, that takes a long time to develop. And worst comes to worst, you can just turn to the dugout and, and they'll give you signs if, if they don't trust you calling a game. Like That was never something that I was worried about at all. The defensive thing has have, have been fine. Uh, he had some early pass balls, but the last couple of games he's been really solid, unlike Andrew Knapp. And... And his receiving has been has been really really impressive. He's been stealing a lot of strikes for his pitchers. Um, now, I mean, I think he's starting. I think umpires are starting to get a little bit upset with him because if you know anything about umpires, it's like when 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 they know that you're just trying to steal strikes and you're pretty egregiously bringing it in, and they view that as like bush league, little league stuff. Um, it can actually hurt you, and I think it, it hurt Afaro like once. Um, but overall, I mean, he's been a, he's done a really nice job of not being egregious with with bringing balls and strikes in. But um, I thought he took some really positive abs this week. Um, I'm very I'm very comfortable with Jorge Alfaro facing pitchers that throw 95 and below. Anything above 95, I'm pretty much guaranteed he's striking out uh, against the higher speeds. For some reason, he tries to speed everything up, uh, and it just doesn't it doesn't work. When he tries to speed everything up, it's, it's very frustrating. However, um, I, he had some really, really positive hacks this week, and, and two of the guys, and I'm going to couple uh, Michael Franco into this Jorge Alfaro discussion, because I think Michael has had a, a really positive uh, a series against the Marlins. Obviously, he went 0 for 5 in one of the games, but good swings on balls. He, he's he's, he's Putting good swings on balls, he's hitting more and more line drives slash, you know, pop ups, which is not great, obviously. But his problem last year was that he was just hitting everything on the ground with absolutely no power. You're starting to see the positive effects of the launch angle movement with this Phillies team with Michael Franco. Um, I thought he took some really, really, really positive hacks. Obviously, had the big game or the big late inning hit. Uh, off the top of the wall, which again, like people freaked out, like, oh my God, he's not running that ball out. Listen, he thought that ball was going out. 
He didn't run. It, it just happens in baseball. It happens every single day in baseball uh, if, you, if you look around the sport and you don't just focus on this Phillies team. Um, but I thought, I thought Mike Kell had a good week. And another guy is, is Aaron Altair. Aaron Altair continues to, to make hard contact. He, he lined a ball out center field that, that could have gone out on a, on a different night. But uh, Aaron Altair is, is officially the guy in right field for this Phillies team. Mick Williams hasn't played uh, 10 out of the last 11 games. It seems like he is just pushed out of the rotation. And I think this is exactly what the Phillies want. The Phillies want Aaron Altair in there uh, every single day in right field. They don't want to play Nick Williams. Nick Williams is a guy that strikes out too much, doesn't walk enough, really isn't a good defensive player. And they had to play him early in the season because Aaron Altair was struggling that much. They just did. I, I don't think they ever really wanted to play Nick Williams as much as they did at the beginning of this season. I, I, I don't believe that at all. I don't, think, I don't think they think he's a very good player. The numbers suggest he's not a very good player, and the eye test doesn't suggest that he's a very good player. And frankly, he should never play over Aaron Altair unless it's a scheduled rest day. I don't think there should be any platoon in right field. It should be Aaron Altair's job uh, from the jump. And recently, in this last week, he's batting in the 340s. You know, he's he's he is skyrocketed from his .86 batting average uh, to, to to begin the season. Uh, he's he's a he's a really plus defender. So so Alfaro, Franco, and Altair are starting to show some signs of emerging from their early season funks. Even though Michael's wasn't as bad, but he just wasn't getting the playing time. That's one of the 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 nice things. Not put nice in quotations, but it allows Michael to play every day with the J.P. Crawford injury, and allows Scott Kingery to to settle in at the shortstop position. Uh, and unfortunately, it took 98 off the bicep the other night, which is which sounds <laughs> sounds horrible. Um, uh, those guys are making solid contact. Uh, some obviously making solid contact doesn't help the batting average all the time, but it's process over results. And the, 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 the swings that they're putting on balls have been positive in the last week. And it's been positive mostly for Carlos Santana too. He's, he's hit a couple of balls very far that just haven't gone out to the deepest parts of the ballpark. He cannot buy a hit right now. Um, so the, the offense I think is starting to, to slowly crawl uh, out of its early season struggles. Obviously Reese, taking a big step back this week. Um, like I said, hopefully his last at bat gets him going a little bit. A has been a double. Cesar rolls out of bed and gets on base at least two times a game. Um, really, really starting to see some positive signs from this this, this Phillies lineup. Uh, now now it's time for the, the starting staff to kind of pick up its slack. Uh, obviously, Vince Velasquez continues to struggle. Really just not fun watching Vince Velasquez at all. Arietta struggled, but their last two two starts were very encouraging in this Marlins series. Zach Eflin, I was I was pretty impressed by what I saw from Zach Eflin. He was he was hitting 9, nine between 94 and 96. Uh, I think he might have hit 97 once, which was which was pretty crazy. Now I know that the the guns are a little juiced down there, but uh, that's beside the point. I thought he had a really nice sink on his fastball. Uh, I thought he had uh, simple mechanics. I thought his slider was probably the most impressive pitch I saw uh, out of the night. It was it was just tumbling away from righties that I thought was gonna be really tough to hit. If he can get that going away from righties and then the sinker down and in, 
that's a pretty lethal combination. I was I was very impressed by Zach Eflin. Obviously, he he took a perfect game into the sixth inning, which was surprising against any team for Zach Eflin. It's just you don't know what you're gonna get from a guy like Zach, Zach Eflin. He'll, he'll show flashes like two years ago or three years ago when he had two straight complete games uh, in a Phillies uniform, which was just out of nowhere. And then you see other starts where he just gets lit up. But if he's hitting 95 to 96 with that slider going away to batters, it's just it's just tough for anyone to hit. So, and I and I would rather have or I'd rather give Zach Eflin uh, chances than like Ben Lively. I'm just done, kind of done with Ben Lively. Like he, to me, he's just Tyler Cloyd with like four miles an hour more. He's just not. He's there's just nothing interesting about watching Ben Lively. Uh, obviously, we get Jared Eikhoff back. Hopefully, we can take take a step back to where he was two years ago. I mean, or was it three years ago at this point? Wow. Because uh, he was a guy that it was six innings, less than two runs. He's going to keep you in a ball game. Uh, the the coaches are raving about his his uh, workouts in the last week. His he was showing. I think they. I think Gabe literally said he's throwing four miles an hour harder, and his curveball's back. So basically, I mean. If so facto, Jared Eikhoff's going to win the Cy Young. <laughs> Obviously not. But getting him back, uh, getting Lively out of the rotation, um, maybe if Eflin can stick around, if Velasquez continues to scuffle. I mean, on paper, if you can get Arietta Nola, Pavetta, Eikhoff, Velasquez slash Eflin, it's, it's it's okay on paper. And then that can keep you in a pennant race as the summer goes on. Um, but, but a really, really encouraging Eflin start. Uh, Gabe did mention that his his AAA numbers weren't really indicative of how well he was pitching, and that seemed to be the case against the Marlins, at least, even though they're basically the equivalent of a AAA team. Uh, but yeah, 95, if you can keep that up, keep showing some positive signs in that slider, maybe it'll help you win some ball games here. It, it, it's at least an upgrade over Ben Lively. Uh, and then there's Aaron Nola. I mean, my baby. I just... I'm just so proud of the guy that Aaron Nola has turned into. Aaron Nola is now a top 12 starter in this entire league. And this is going to sound like a spicy take. And, you know, it's a shame that no one is here to argue this take besides me. So that means that I win. But it's my podcast this time. And I can come out and say this take. Aaron Nola is the closest thing to Pedro Martinez since Pedro Martinez. Now, I don't think he's Pedro Martinez. But the way he pitches, his mechanics, and just the movement on his stuff is the closest I've personally seen to Pedro Martinez. I think him and Scherzer are the best two options at this. But the way Nola's mechanics are, the way they're they're similar to Pedro Martinez's, and the way his fastball moves like Pedro's did, his changeup, he's now using more and more and generating more swings and misses. He has, he has three above-average pitches at this time. Now, obviously, Pedro Martinez had the three best pitches in the entire game. He had the best fastball, the best curveball, and the best changeup. But Nola's pitches, Nola's pitches truly move just like Pedro Martinez's did. I was watching Pedro start against the Devil Race today because, I don't know, I was I was nerding out to some Pedro, which is like there's absolutely nothing wrong with nerding out to some Pedro Martinez film. And it was just like, this is what Nola looks like. Obviously, Nola can't reach into his back pocket and, and pound 99 up in the zone. But it's 96. He was hitting 96 down in Miami with legit two-seam run on it. And he was flashing a changeup that was 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 diving right out of the zone. 
and his curveball has been unhittable since he's gotten into the league. His curveball is elite. His fastball's mm, it's not elite. It's a it's a tier below elite, and his changeup is is now an above average pitch. I don't think he's Pedro Martinez, but this is the closest thing I've seen to Pedro since Pedro. They pitch the exact same way, and that's just raising the ceiling on a guy that already has a pretty ridiculous ceiling. I, I mean, I know it's against the Marlins. I'm not going to overreact. It was not his best start ever. He was fighting his stuff early, but he did settle into a groove where he retired 16 straight Marlins. It was a really, really impressive start. He went to the eighth inning. He didn't get through the eighth inning. Uh, he's never gotten through the eighth inning in in a start this year, or not in a start in his career. Um, he's gotten stronger and stronger, and like I said, he's a guy that can just roll out of bed and give you seven innings, <laughs> less than two runs. I, I love Aaron Nola. He is he is truly my baby. Now we're gonna go into the trust tree on this episode of High Hopes because this is this is a personal thing for me, and I'm wondering if anyone else out there is starting to experience the same problems that I'm clearly experiencing with with Gabe Kapler. I'm starting to adopt his nicknames. I'm starting to adopt his nicknames in my everyday life. I call Alfaro Alfie. I call I call Aaron Nola Knowles. I call Aaron Altair Stretch. I mean, his his nicknames like like Michael is Mikey. I'm starting to to take Gabe Kapler's nicknames and use them in my everyday life, and I don't know if that's a good way to be. I don't know if anyone else is out there. That is, well, honestly, I probably listen to more Gabe Kapler than than most people here because I have to uh, listen to the manager show. But I'm starting to pick up on on his little little words, and I don't think I like it very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 caught in a tough spot. Where I am just now adopting Gabe Kaplerisms. People are going to start looking at me funny. I'm going to go on the radio and start saying that we have a laser sharp focus on the show tonight. <laughs> People are going to start being worried. I don't know. If anyone else is out there that's starting to, to adopt Gabe Kaplerisms, just let me know. So I'm not, so I'm not in this alone. <laughs> uh, now, the, the Phillies are heading up north. A little bit up north. Not home to Philadelphia, but... They are going to Washington in a very, very interesting early season matchup. Uh, the the Nationals have have moved Bryce Harper into the leadoff role, and he has responded. He he, I think he's hit a homer in two out of three games at the leadoff position. They are getting uh, Anthony Rendon back this series. Um, they've scuffled, they've struggled at the beginning of the season, but. Anthony Rendon's been hurt. Uh, Daniel Murphy's been hurt. Victor Robles has been hurt. Adam Eaton's been hurt. Um, they still have Max Scherzer. They're, they're batting Bryce Harper in the leadoff role. They're obviously a dangerous team. They're still the favorites to win the NL East, although, man, I'm getting pretty nervous about the, the future of the Braves. I mean, Freeman, Albies, and Acuna, Acuna is a ridiculous um, three-man core. Um, but Washington, I still think, is the class of the NL East. The Phillies head there this this weekend. Obviously, they got murdered by the Nationals last year. Hopefully, that trend does not continue. Um, they might get Anthony Rendon back this series. It's not 100% sure, but he's coming back from a toe injury that is so subsequently uh, hurting the Washington Nationals and hurting my fantasy team. It's not been fun. Um, tomorrow night, Nick Pavetta versus Gio Gonzalez. Pavetta coming off his worst outing of the season. Now, I don't think it was as bad as as the, the numbers would suggest. 
Obviously, Aduba helped them one time. That would have stretched, uh, I think, a three nothing lead to like a six nothing lead for the Braves. Um, but he, I still saw mostly positive signs from Pavetta. His defense did not help him one bit in his last start. Besides, obviously, the Aduba catch. But um, Pavetta versus Geo, Geo, great year last year. Obviously, regressing this year because his year last year was just ridiculous. Uh, and then we have Velasquez versus Roark, which I'm just going to pencil in as an L. I'm not even might not even watch that game. I, I already know the outcome of that game before even sitting down to watch it, to be completely honest with you. And then, oh, baby, guess what we have on Sunday? On Sunday, we have Jake Arrieta versus Max Scherzer. I mean, this is the second time this year that Jake Arrieta has matched up against a former NL Cy Young winner. Max Scherzer is is like... I mean, his eyes are freaky, but he is just unbelievable. He is he is one of the most underrated players in the entire game. He might be better than Clayton Kershaw, but no one's going to talk about that. Like, Max Scherzer has been a $215 million bargain for the Washington Nationals. He is, he is tremendous. The Phillies will probably lose that game, but... Arietta versus Scherzer is just one to get excited about. So uh, the Phillies obviously heading to Washington this weekend. Uh, Jake Arietta versus Scherzer is the headline matchup. Uh, really, I just truly can't wait to watch that game. I hope Arietta brings it. Hopefully we can get some uh, location on his off-speed pitches because, man, it was a struggle against the Miami Marlins. Um, but that's going to do it for this solo episode of the High Hopes podcast. I hope you made it through the whole thing. I mean, you know, I, I try to be entertaining. Obviously, with James and John here, it's, it's a much more fun show. But I appreciate you guys listening if you if you guys listen to the whole thing. Uh, as always, please get your reviews in. We're trying to trying to build this Phillies podcast into the voice of Phillies fans everywhere. And uh, we can only get there with with your help. So your your reviews go a long way. If you love the show, uh, please leave us a review. And uh, hopefully we have some fun prizes coming up with uh, with with more reviews. And uh, obviously subscribe. You know, just pass the word along. High hopes is here. Two pods a week. We're even doing solo pods. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time. And uh, hopefully they can take two of three uh, from the Washington Nationals this weekend. Because I'll tell you what, Saturday is an absolute L. Velasquez, hmm, he's not winning a ball game this weekend. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of High Hopes. We, we will be back on Sunday night. Probably James and I. Maybe John. We'll see what's up, but we'll talk to you soon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.